This week's episode of Kaiju Weekly is brought to you by The Ocean. It's scary down there. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Weekly, the weekly podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster movies. I am your host, Travis, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Michael. hey How are you doing, Michael? I'm good. Can't really complain too much. Um, we are have a very special episode this week because we have a couple of special guests who are joining us in this episode but they are not joining us right now they'll be joining us a little bit later so i'm i'm super super excited to have these guys on yeah yeah i i love listening to their podcasts i love interacting with them on twitter and uh in the kaiju quarantine that we uh put on i just uh, they are some of my favorite uh, podcasters that are out there, so Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to it. But before we get into that, we have to talk about the news of the week. Cue the beady beady. Cue the beady beady. And uh, so the first bit of news, the first big bit of news that everyone is talking about that is blowing up everyone's feed that just everyone's freaking out about Dr. Houston Brooks is set to make a return to the MonsterVerse in the new Kong prequel graphic novel. <laughs> no, <Nah>, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Of course, we've got to talk about the big movie delay that has everyone up in arms. Wonder Woman 84 has been pushed back a few months. Uh, and of course, everyone, <laughs> Can you tell I just don't want to talk about the actual topic? <laughs> okay, okay. In all seriousness, in all seriousness, Travis, we need to really, we need to, we need to seriously talk about the delay that happened with, uh, with the new James Bond movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, okay, Godzilla versus Kong has officially been delayed. Everyone who is involved in kaiju news and listens to podcasts already knows this, but uh, we, we're going to cover it here just because it's a big news story. Um, it has been delayed until May 2021, so mm -hmm. basically another year. And again, the entire internet blew up with, yeah, we kind of saw that coming. <laughs> would you even call that a blow up though would you just i would just call that as a um wah, wah, yeah like one of those moments yeah it's like sort of anticlimactic and i know that we didn't really want to discuss it in depth here um but i, I think we did want to read a few comments or at least try to get or at least give a summary of those comments uh, yeah so we have covered the possibility of this being delayed. We've covered the uh, what it means for the fandom if it does get delayed. All of that. We've covered it from every angle. So there's really nothing else for us to say about this delay. Um, and so we're just, instead of talking about this 
topic, you know, in, in any other kind of way. We're just going to read some of the reactions that people have had online to the news about it being pushed back another year. Yeah. So uh, I know I posted in the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group. I think the post I uh, sent up the other day was So, how does the group feel about Godzilla versus Kong getting delayed until May of 2021? And I'm not going to read all of them because we like to keep this podcast, you know, PG 13 at the least. Uh, mm -hmm. But. The general consensus, uh, and I'll sing, and I'll point out here, uh, William Blair, uh, his comment was simply disappointed, but not surprised. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's some sums up most people's reactions to it. It's like, it's disappointing. We wanted to see the movie, but we're not surprised by it. Right. Yeah. We're, I don't believe anyone is surprised that it's going to be delayed. We all saw this coming. In fact, I think it was what, when you and Elijah did your episode on the news or in the Kong and the Godzilla versus Kong, uh, spoilers or, or what, I can't remember exactly what y'all covered. Sorry. Yeah, um, we, we covered the, the books, um, the books right. getting delayed and right. then, so, so, okay. That brings up a good point. I want to ask you because sure. this is the scenario that I have in my head. Sure. Uh, uh, WB Warner Brothers Legendary, whoever says, okay, we're going to push the movie back and we're going to push back the release date for the books, but we're going to announce it later on, you know, in a, in a couple of weeks. And some person at Amazon or working for whoever was like, well, I'll go ahead and change the dates on the books now so I don't forget to do it later. Mm -hmm. and no one will notice and yeah, that's exactly how i work too <laughs> and everyone noticed <laughs> and then they're like no wait wait we weren't ready change it back change it back and now it's like well now the movie's been delayed until may <laughs> of next year so it's <laughs> that that's the scenario that plays in my head does it does that sound about right uh you know will the world will never know uh but that to me sounds like it could be pretty spot on as to what exactly happened there, because you're right. Everyone saw that the books were delayed until May and then they freaked out and then they pushed and then they, then, you know, obviously probably somebody got their hand slapped and said, no, no, <laughs> no bad person, whomever you are, bad person, move it back so that the fandom doesn't get suspicious. And then two weeks later, they officially move it to May. I mean, come on. Yep. Really? They should, yeah. just, they should have just left it. I mean, they should have just left the books. They should have really just left it alone. Just, yeah, we all knew. We all saw it was coming. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, any other reactions that you want to read out from people? Because I have a few. Yeah, I was uh, going through here in the group and I was really sort of read. I was skimming through comments and this one kind of caught my eye. It's from Howard. It's from I'm sorry. It's from Lane Howard. Uh, and he and his comment uh, reads, uh, part of me is yelling at the skies, praying to the Hollywood gods to forever curse legendary studios to force me to wait even longer for the most epic battle of the century. Yeah. Yeah. Another year. Oh, I mean, uh, yeah, of course, there's more important things going on in the world. So it's not that big of a deal, but it's like oh, another year. Right. And he later on go, uh, Lane goes a little bit further into the comment. He just mentions that he sees the reasoning for the delay, but ultimately 
it's uh it's probably ultimately it's going to be a good thing uh and ultimately that you know we're not surprised by it yeah um i have one that's uh really interesting and brings up an interesting question that i think you might be able to touch on a little bit um but kayla howard uh asks uh, the real sucky, or doesn't ask, but just mentions, uh, the real sucky thing is if they don't want to wait on the toys and they release all of them in a couple of months. I know Funko wants to release their Godzilla vs. Kong pops around September. Mm -hmm. They will be giving us unintended spoilers. So what do you think about this? The idea that they may go ahead and release like the Funko pops and some of the other uh, toys and collectibles and that we may be hit with some spoilers, more spoilers than we already have been hit with. But like other people have been able to avoid the spoilers that have already been out there. But once the figures come out and they start hitting the shelves, it's kind of hard to avoid those. What, what are your right. thoughts on this? Right. Uh, see, I was hoping to get an answer from uh, from someone who I know is kind of close, not necessarily close to this particular situation because I don't have those kind of connections, but someone who has. Uh, relatively good knowledge of how the toy industry works uh, around these films. And I never could get, I never, he never got back to me in time. So um, from my perspective, from what I kind of know about the toy industry is a lot of the places are under, a lot of these companies are going to be under embargo up until a certain point before they can even show anything. So that could be, a month before the movie comes out. It could be a week before the movie comes out. I don't know. The que the the real answer is I don't know, or nobody knows really, because it's going to be up to uh, whatever embargo that Legendary and Warner Brothers has invoked from these companies to not show off anything. It's going to uh, depend on. <clears throat> it's going to It's going to depend on. Um, the agreed upon contracts and release dates for these particular items. Um, they, we may see a situation where these places still have a contract to fulfill. And so they just go ahead and push stuff out and we get full spoilers. I don't think that'll happen. Um, I think that we're going to get, we're going to get spoiled through the toys anyway, regardless. That's just how, this whole thing works with merchandising. Usually they'll start pushing yeah. out. Usually you'll, they'll start pushing out toys and things like, um, for an example, um, I can't remember what brand they are, but the, uh, the toys that came to Walmart before King of the Monsters, um, before King of the Monsters came to theaters or f officially came to theaters. I think those dropped about a month. We got to see those about a month or so before the movie happened. So, it spoiled Burning Godzilla. It spoiled, um, oh God, what else did it spoil? I know it spoiled Burning Godzilla and it spoiled a couple of the things that, that, that are not coming to mind, but the big one was Burning Godzilla for sure. Um, but, you know, it's going to be unavoidable up to a certain point for sure. Um, so they may wait until maybe a month or so ahead of time. Um, to push all that merchandising out, but it's ultimately going to be up to companies what kind of, and also what kind of embargo uh, Legendary and Warner Brothers has on these companies that they cannot show things off until a certain point. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, it was just something that came up that I had not thought of then until someone mentioned it in one of the comments, and I was like, oh yeah, that is a that's a good point. So 
that's an interesting uh, perspective. I'm glad that you were able to to explain some of that about the like the embargo and everything. Um, another thing that somebody brings up, and it's actually one of our guests that's going to be on the the podcast later on, but um, Alex from Monsters vs. Men brings up a point about the date that it gets that it got moved to mm-hmm. and whether or not that was a smart move seeing as there is already uh movies and or, or at least one big movie that could be competition to be fair and and not discounting what alex said in his tweet but there's a lot less competition where it moved to right now than where it was at in November. So even though there is still a, there is another movie there, it's not, uh, it's not as much competition as what would have been if they had stayed in November. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. It's, um, you know, that's, that's, that's obvious. I mean, I think like we, I think we talked about before, in um in november if it would have still been in november there was like 15 or 16 other movies scheduled to come out and so and i think i want to say two of them were disney and one marvel one marvel movie if i'm not mistaken uh and then of course you have um uh you have james bond two that are that yeah. was supposed to come out uh it's still scheduled for november i believe um, that's, that was coming out in that month as well. So, I mean, there was some heavy, heavy competition. I really wanted that. I honestly was one of those wanting them to push it back to sometime, uh, maybe not necessarily May, but I want to say that February tends to be a, um, a safe month for, mm-hmm. for certain, for, for movies that are more niche, uh, like unlike you know Marvel movies, they're always going to draw millions of dollars. But for something that's a little bit more niche, uh, putting it in an off month feels like a good move to me. And I want to say that February probably would have been a good idea. Maybe even January because then you're past the um, you're past the uh, December movie season. Uh, if there's even going to be a December movie season at this point, I don't know. May is an interesting choice because mm-hmm. it's right before the summer blockbuster season. And it's, it's in between like the hollow it's in between this, the holiday movie season and the blockbuster summer movie season. So it's, in a it's in a weird spot, I think. Yeah. Well, let's, let's uh, look at the thing. So in November, the, the competition that it was up against, you had uh, black widow, mm-hmm. which was the Marvel movie. Then you had um, No Time to Die, which is the James Bond movie. Right. And you also had uh, Soul, which is a Disney animation movie. So because Godzilla and Kong are a four-quadrant property where they appeal to you know the, the adults, the kids, the parents, and the grandparents – they uh they really have a competition from all of these you know so you have the marvel movie of course because you know marvel is a huge uh juggernaut everyone goes to see a marvel movie uh but you know you also have competition from james bond which may not be the same audience that would be going to see soul the the pixar or or disney movie right 
but those are still the same audience. Both of those are the same audience members that would go see Godzilla versus Kong. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so there was a lot of competition in November. So it moved to May. Now, as of right now, as of right now, uh, two weeks before Godzilla vs. Kong comes out, there is another Marvel movie that is scheduled. Uh, and it is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Now I have, look, I know you're, you're more of the Marvel DC person because you're, you're, you're the comic book guy. Yeah. So I have never personally heard of this. How popular do you feel like that movie would even be? Well, I, the thing is with Marvel movies, I cannot say because I, yes, Shang-Chi is not a, like diehard comic book fans know who Shang-Chi is, mm -hmm. but you know, the general audiences don't know who that character is at the same time. Most people didn't know who Guardians of the Galaxy was. True. Yeah. And look how successful that was. So yeah. you can't you can't write it off just because uh just because you know you don't know the character. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna um I'm not gonna say that Shang-Chi won't be a huge movie. Mm -hmm. Uh the only thing that makes Shang-Chi uh what makes me wonder about Shang-Chi is they had to halt production on it. And I don't know if they've even started the production back or when they're going to. So they may end up moving it from a different, you know, to a different date anyway, which means Godzilla versus Kong will not have any competition. Right. But as of right now, that's its biggest competition. And then uh, about a month after Godzilla versus Kong comes out is Jurassic world dominion is when it's scheduled to come out. Uh -huh, so, okay. So it has at least some breathing room. It's not, you know, they, there's a two week gap and then a month gap. Okay. Well, let me ask you this <clears throat> just for the sake of, um, just for the sake of argument so that we're not rehashing the same thing over and over and over. Best case scenario, uh, mm -hmm. Godzilla versus Kong becomes the headline movie for May. Mm -hmm. How much do you think that, how well do you think it could do? as the headline film for that particular month. I think it can do really well. I, I definitely think it can do well, especially like I said, uh, because we have seen movies do really well. If you have a two week break between them, uh, you know, I, I, I know Alex mentioned that, you know, they are moving this to uh, too close to another Marvel movie, but it's really two weeks is a decent enough gap especially when you're getting into the, the high volume release period, like you know, the summer uh, movie season, two week, a two week gap between uh, tent pole movies is not that bad. Um, but I, I definitely think that Godzilla versus Kong can, can succeed. I think it can succeed if they do the marketing properly. Right. Yeah. I think that, I think if they did the marketing, if they did the marketing properly, like you said, because with King of the Monsters, the one thing I think that aggravated me the most about King of the Monsters is, yes, there was a ton of marketing, but that marketing spoiled so much, so yeah. much. And I think the reason why is because they knew that the general audience needed to be interested in this movie. Unfortunately, 
which happens a lot with with trailers and with happens a lot especially with in the last few years with some of these more big blockbuster size movies they tend to give us the best parts of the movie in the trailer so mm-hmm. I, I don't I, I mean i get why they did it because king, godzilla king of the monsters yeah they got to get the they got to get the normies in they got to get the general audience in they got to get them interested and they had some beautiful shots from the film but they spoiled everything we knew about yeah. King Gid- we knew about King Ghidorah for what two weeks, three weeks out from the movie during that second uh, second or third uh, teaser. We knew ex- we knew exactly. Uh, I think it was, was even going. longer than that because I, I remember a poster coming out at uh, one of the comic cons that showed Ghidorah. So yeah. I think it was even longer than that. Yeah, and they spoiled the uh, that that really great shot of of King Ghidorah on top of the volcano with the. Uh, with mm-hmm. the with the with the cross in the foreground, they spoiled that, and they spoiled yeah. um, Godzilla falling from the sky, and so you know people were able to put two and two together. It's like, oh, we're getting burning Godzilla. So, you know, uh, anyway, that's my soapbox. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I, but I think that I, I'm hoping the marketing for Godzilla versus Kong will be different. There is a different person uh, that's taking charge of the marketing for this movie than what was doing the marketing for King of the Monsters. So. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, so yeah, that's that's all we're going to talk about with uh, with the GVK news about it being delayed. Uh, we like we said, we didn't want to go into a whole lot about it because we've already talked it to death. The entire community has talked it to death. We just wanted to cover some of the reactions to it. Uh, and this will not be the last time we talk about. It. As much as we say this will be the last time, this won't be the last time we talk. Oh about no, it. yeah, no, it won't be the last time. We will be haunted by this news forever. <laughs> we might as we well, will be, Travis. We might as well just start writing a writing in a line in our notes uh, for GVK on every episode, just in case. Yeah, yeah. Um, but sticking with with Godzilla versus Kong news, uh, one of the other bits of news that came out the, uh, this past week was that Junkie XL uh, is actually going to be doing the soundtrack for Godzilla versus Kong instead of Bear McCreary. I was going to say, I am I'm interested, intrigued, and kind of disappointed all at the same time. Um, mainly because I really enjoy the King of the Monsters score. In fact, mm-hmm. I'm one of those nerds that puts it on every now and then just so I can listen to it all the way through. And so I can say, yep, that's that's where this piece is taken from. That's what happening. That's exactly what's happening in this scene. And it just kind of brings back, you know, good memories, good vibes. Um, but I was really kind of disappointed that they weren't going to do Bear, uh, let Bear do it again. Uh, because I like his work. I liked his I loved his work in King of the Monsters. I love I like his uh, sound design for The Walking Dead. Um, yeah, I was just a little bit disappointed, but it seems that uh, Junkie XL is a pretty heavy hitter himself because he's done uh, Fury Road, Batman v Superman, and I want to say Deadpool as well. He did that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and all three of those have pretty good soundtracks to them. Uh, so I'm not particularly worried about it. I'm just a little bit disappointed that we may possibly not get the classic Kong theme from 62. That's what I really want for, even if it's just a little hint of it, even if it's just a little hint of it, I want the theme from King Kong versus Godzilla 1962. And then I want, and then I also want, of course, uh, uh, if Bay's music to come back, uh, in a really epic way for this. And I'm just kind of scared that we're not going to get that, that he's going to take too many creative liberties with it. And 
it's just not going to feel right without those themes to me. Yeah. Um, what's interesting is we've talked about, and one of the things that I think uh, a lot of people agree on with King of the Monsters, whether you like it or not, is that it is a big, the movie itself is a big love letter to the Showa era of, oh, absolutely. Uh, of Godzilla. And that comes through in the soundtrack because like you said, the, a lot of the Ifukube themes come back. Brer, uh, bear, uh, Brer, bleh, I can't even talk. Anyway, the composer, um, he, he kind of, you know, mixed in and, and updated them and, and really, uh, um, did a lot of creative things with those classic, uh, soundtrack, uh, with those classic themes. But I wonder if this, uh, I, this, this move from instead of going with bear going with now junkie XL is showing that while King of the monsters was kind of a love letter to the Showa era that's not what Godzilla versus Kong is going to be. We're not going to get a lot of those nods to Showa era things and to, to Godzilla of Godzilla's of the past. This is something new and exciting. Um, you know, junkie XL is known for his big and bombastic sounds that he does. Uh, and so I think that it's, I think we're just in for a different movie. We're in I for a different experience in with this movie than we were with King of the monsters. I think so too. I think that we're in for, we're in for, a, I mean, if we're, if, if, if the discussion we had last time with the ratings being PG 13 and then the comments by uh, Adam, the comments by Adam Wingard were any indication I'm, I want, even if this movie is going to be the last film in the monster verse, please just, let's just go all out with it. Let's just go balls to the wall and give us, not just, I don't want just, I don't want enough, I don't want a love letter of the show. I don't want a love letter to the Godzilla franchise again. I want just this epic confrontation between these two Titans that mm -hmm. this confrontation has been brewing for decades at this point. But I think you're right, Travis. I think we're in for a fun, fun ride, especially with the sound design, because I think uh, what uh, we talked about, what, you know, sort of what we've talked about in the past is sound design can make or break a film. I think we mm -hmm. talked about it with, with Rega, with the Rego episode, a sound design mm -hmm. and, a, and a soundtrack, a score can make or break a film. And so I've seen um, Batman V Superman. I've seen Deadpool. Uh, I've seen Fury Road. And I think that all three of those movies have a really solid, score to them. Uh, mm -hmm. so I'm not, I'm not worried. I'm not worried, but I, 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 my one request, and I know it's, it's the other fans in this, the other people that I've talked to their number one request. It doesn't have to be the full theme, but please just give us just a little, little, little nod to that. If Bay theme for Godzilla and for Kong. Yeah. Yeah. I would love you know, to, to still have those little nods, even if your you know, majority of it is going to be yeah. bigger and bombastic and everything else. Um, so moving on, uh, let's shotgun the last few um, bits uh -oh. of news because we're, we're just, we don't want to take up too much time because we have uh, our guests on and we know that's going to take a while because there's going to be four of us 
And also we want to give them plenty of time to uh, share their opinions on the movie that we're talking about. So let's just shotgun these. So the first uh, first bit of news that's from Ultraman, uh, the Ultraman side of things, the Ultraman festival that was scheduled for 2020 uh, was uh, scheduled to be held this summer in Japan has been canceled. It's been officially canceled. It's not, it hasn't been moved to a different date. It's just been canceled. I think they're going to try to do another one maybe next year. Sure. Um, but I think we're just waiting to see what's going to happen. Um, but also on the side of Ultraman, we have some releases coming, some news on some more releases. Ultraman Ginga is on its way with both series, Ultraman Ginga and Ultraman Ginga S. Uh, and then also Ultraman Ginga S the movie, as well as the bonus special Ultra Fight Victory are mm-hmm. all being released from Mill Creek. So that's some more Mill Creek Ultraman to add to your collection. And Ultraman Ginga is actually one of the newer uh, series. I think it was, it's only, it's, it's not even 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, uh, it's one of the newer of the Ultraman series that you yep. can add to your collection. I'm looking forward to it. I've, I have all the releases so far and I'll do the same for these. So, yeah. Yeah, um, we did mention it, but Dr. Houston Brooks is set to make a return to the MonsterVerse in the new Kong prequel graphic novel for Godzilla vs. Kong, which makes sense because his first appearance when he his younger self was in Kong Skull Island. Right. He made a brief appearance in King of the Monsters. Now he's coming back for, uh, or the character is going to show up in the comic book. I am just- I anticipate him. I was just say I anticipate him coming back also in Godzilla versus Kong because uh, the scene that we're talking about just really quickly in King of the Monsters, it's the scene where uh, Mothra awakes from uh, mm-hmm. that's the shot where you see Dr. Brooks and we don't see him again for the rest of the film. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm expecting him to at least make a small cameo right. in uh, in the next one. Um, and then the last bit of news that we're going to talk about is NECA has revealed they are releasing a Kong figure in September. Now, I have seen this figure uh, listed on Twitter when people have talked about this news as a Kong, a King Kong 33 figure. That is not what this figure is because that is this figure is not King Kong 33. No, it's not. Well, yeah, this it may look okay. So when I first saw the images, I didn't read the caption. Uh, mm-hmm. and we won't spend a lot of time on this, but uh, I honestly thought it was a NECA uh, Kong Skull Island, is what I thought. Yeah, honestly. that's what I thought too. It looks just like Kong, uh, from Kong Skull Island. It has the scars across his chest and everything, just like in Skull Island. Mm-hmm. But the face sculpt, though, I can see why they would call it Kong 33, because the face sculpt resemble, resembles 33 more than Kong Skull Island. Not saying they won't do a 33 Kong at some point. You know, they, they may do that. But this one in particular, I know that uh, I know that people have been saying it on Twitter and like sharing it as a kong 33 and i'm just like I, no there this is not a kong 33 this yeah. there's this is not that sculpt is not 33 that coloring is not 33 and that 
the scars and stuff are in there at 33. But anybody who knows more about the figures and knows more about this news, if you want to correct me, that's fine. I'm just coming at it from my point of view. Uh, yeah, so maybe we'll get, um, you know, we talked about last week the special color versions for Godzilla 2003 and the Biogoji. We'll, I would say the mo the the likely alternate color version for this is going to be a black and white. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's it for the news for this week. So the next thing that we're moving into is our main topic, and we're going to go ahead and get our guests on the line to talk about the movie that we're going to review for this week. All right, let's do it. All right, so we're going to move into our main topic for this week. Uh, we usually ask trivia questions to get into our main topic, but this week, because of our special guests, we decided to ask uh, rhyme questions, rhyming questions, instead <laughs> of trivia questions. Oh, uh, they're so bad. They're so bad. Uh, they're so bad. So I'll ask. I'll go ahead and read the ones we've got, and then then we'll introduce our special guests. So after watching a movie starring Kristen Stewart, do we think she succeeded or do we think she blew it? And then Michael. <laughs> and then well, okay. So then of course mine was. Uh, <laughs> When we are joined by two monstrous men, will they frown or will they grin? When we see Kristen go underwater, will she survive or become kaiju fodder? Uh, Which you wrote as fatter. Yes, you wrote fatter. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so, welcome to the podcast. Very glad to have you guys on. Alex and Eric from the Monsters vs. Men podcast. Yeah, hey everybody. What's up everybody? <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into talking about the movie, do you guys want to introduce yourselves and I mean, I introduced you, but introduce your podcast and kind of give some plugs to it. Sure. Yeah, I'll go first, Alex. I'm the most important. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't the phrase the best for last? Yeah, I guess so. But I, I'm Eric and I am known around these parts around the Kaiju community at this point. I'm like the resident film snob. Um, and so our podcast, the idea of it is I'm the film snob, Alex, he is, I'll let him introduce himself, but he's more of, I call him a fanboy. He, he's not a huge fan of that term. I don't think, but we dive into the monster movie genre and series. And we're just now wrapping up our Godzilla series and we're about to move into our Gamera series. So we're super excited about that. And we're super excited to be on the show. Thanks guys for having us. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I'm the cute one. Uh, <laughs> like the Kaiju community calls me as the cute one. And uh, <laughs> I, I am the fan of Godzilla. But, you know, uh, Eric likes to throw around derogatory terms towards me frequently. You'll see me frequently abused on the podcast. So oh, I'm boy. just here to uh, just talk about movies because I love them. And even put up with Eric's abuse. Oh, come okay. on, Alex. This, this podcast is no, no place for your virtue signaling. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. You're right. But no, we have a good time, and we've crafted what we call the American Ninja Warrior of, uh, of, of Monster Podcasts. 
<laughs> nice. I know how you guys like to refer to your podcast as the bargain basement of <laughs> podcasting. And I always think every time I listen to that, I'm like, well, if you guys are the bargain basement, what does that make us? Because like we are we are way below the quality of you guys. <laughs> you, you, you are up on like top of the Empire State Building. Y'all are like got like drink fine wine every night. Uh, we, we know how y'all do it over here. <laughs> uh, you guys do a great job on Monsters vs. Men. I talk about I, I talked about during Kaiju Quarantine, which you guys were a part of, uh, that with a lot of podcasts, and it's not just monster podcasts, but all podcasts, I have a hard time keeping up with uh, ones that are coming out every week because... They, there's just so much there's so mm -hmm. much going on and some of them are really long our friends over at tokyo lives they put out two and a half to three hour long episodes sometimes and they're really hard to keep up with but i always make sure to listen to monsters versus men every week i oh. never miss a monday <laughs> oh man don't let, lie, appreciate it. don't let him lie he, he <laughs> i asked him the other day did, i asked him the other day did you did you listen to the the newest episode of monsters versus men he said no uh, that's not top of mind right now for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, we appreciate was... that. Is it because yeah. of our uh, bite, our, I guess, more bite-sized episodes compared to some of the other ones out there? We try to keep it short for everybody. Yeah. yeah about I, 45 minutes. Yeah, I think that is a big uh, reason why you guys have a podcast that's very um, approachable to people because uh it is very you know it's compared to other podcasts it is very short compared to our own podcast it's short uh and sweet and i like that uh and so yeah i i, I make sure to always keep up with monsters versus men you guys do a great job and we are happy to have you on this podcast oh but we could you. we could keep up talking like this for hours i know yeah. Yeah. About how <laughs> i, I like to rain praise on myself so <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, should we get into this film travis yeah, so the movie we're talking about this week is Underwater. It is definitely the most recent film that we're going to cover um, on the podcast for a while. Uh, we'll talk about the news later. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's it's starring uh, Kristen Stewart, Vincent Cassell, Jessica Henwick, John Gallagher Jr., uh, Mamadou Atier and TJ Miller. It was a movie from 2020, just earlier this year, uh, directed by William Eubank. And the plot breakdown is a crew of oceanic researchers working for a deep sea drilling company try to get to safety after a mysterious earthquake devastates their deep water research and drilling facility located at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. So getting into this movie... What are some uh, initial thoughts? Uh, let's start with uh, with the Monsters vs. Men guys. What are your initial thoughts on on this movie? Well, my initial initial thoughts are just like this movie. Uh, hits the ground running immediately, and <laughs> it never <laughs> lets up. I can't believe the the pace of this movie, and just I really just really like how the claustrophobic the whole movie feels, even when they go outside. I feel claustrophobic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a testament to how good uh, the director really sets the tone for this movie. It's, I'm really impressed by it through and through. Yeah, you mentioned the first 15 minutes of the movie, Alex, or you, you mentioned that the movie hits the ground running. For me, it's that first 15 minutes that I really, really enjoyed here. And 
I like how it breaks conventions of lots of movies that we see in this sort of mold, right? Where there's like this growing threat. Here, the threat is there right from the very opening scene. It throws us right into the thick of it, and I like that. I also think the cinematography right there at the beginning and the effects and the visuals are spectacular. Uh, The Mm -hmm. camera work in the first 15 minutes of the film, it did intrigue me, and it made me feel what you were saying there, Alex, claustrophobic. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, I think when we're looking at this film overall, there's some things that I dislike more than others. Just hitting the ground running at the very beginning of it, I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Michael, what's your opening thoughts? I'm going to piggyback off of what the guy said. And this movie is very claustrophobic. Um, And I actually, I enjoyed the pacing, although it was a, it was a little, it was, it was hard to keep up with it, honestly, uh, because it did move so quickly. But um, like Alex said, you know, once it started, it really started and just did not let up the entire time. And I actually enjoyed that about it. Uh, The cinematography was fantastic. Um, I, you know, I I honestly had uh, low expectations heading into this one, honestly. Um, but we'll talk about it later. But I actually enjoyed it more than what I than what I thought I was going to. And the cinematography and just its pacing helped out a lot with that. Yeah, I I agree with you guys. The pacing, the jumping straight into the the thick of it uh, was all great. Um, I also really enjoyed the just the horror side of it. Like this is a scary movie mm-hmm. and this was the first movie because I'm not very sensitive to scary movies. I, I grew up, I was probably like six years old watching tales from the crypt and uh, the thing and a bunch of other, you know, really frightening movies for a six year old. Um, right. But so I'm kind of desensitized to a lot of scary things. And this is the first movie in a while that I felt uncomfortable while watching in a good way. Hmm. Uh, Like it actually did make me give that fear, put that fear in me. Um, So that, that that is definitely a positive thing for this movie. Yeah. One thing that um, one thing I was expecting that we didn't get a a whole lot of, honestly, like a lot of these modern horror science fiction movies, they rely really heavily on jump scares and there really wasn't a ton of it in this movie. It was more like a, a buildup in suspense more and more a, a buildup in dread, I guess is yeah. the best way I know how to uh, put it. Uh, other than just relying strictly on, on the jump scares and just the really sudden um, uh, uh, sequences of just yeah. death and destruction. Yeah. You, you get what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. well, for sure. And- And before we get too far into our review, I do want to let everyone know this is going to be a spoiler review. So if you haven't seen the movie and you do want to see the movie, go check it out. Um, Sometimes on our podcast, I don't spoil movies, but in this one, we're definitely going to spoil it. So we just want to let everybody know that. So, yeah, you guys can continue now. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, I was going to talk about the what you were saying there, Michael, about the jump scares. They, they really don't rely on them. And I, that's really evident during the scene where they finally are on the ocean floor walking and mm-hmm. it's pitch black all around them. And we see the monster coming. It's not like it just jumps out. Like it, it builds that tension of him circling them. And you actually mm-hmm. even see the, the dirt trail behind him uh, before you even see the monster, knowing that it's circling them when they're looking around. 
And so when he finally does show his head, you know it's coming. And it doesn't really make you jump, but it's just as horrifying as if they had. Yeah, I was I was fully prepared, Alex, in that first, <laughs> especially on that first uh, uh, scene where they're on the bottom of the ocean floor. Um, I was fully prepared just to be jump scared, pretty much. Yes. But you're right. It just built up to it. And it was it, it made you very uncomfortable because you're you're waiting for it to happen, because that's sort of a trope of sort of modern um, horror films. Mm-hmm. But uh, I really enjoyed how they handled it there. Yeah. Anytime yeah. a horror movie can not rely on jump scares, I'm giving I always give it a lot of praise when it can just use that tone to make me unsettled the whole time. Yeah, There's one specific example there that I, I like to kind of highlight, and it's it's at the beginning of the film. Um, after they've, by the way, the beginning of the film doesn't it feel a little bit like Godzilla 2014? <laughs> and the, she has to close the door. Oh, has oh to yeah, the door. yeah, it absolutely <laughs> um, does. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> Except there's not that emotional tie to the characters that she's closing the door on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was an interesting kind of tie-in to Godzilla, which Alex and I have been talking about recently. But after that scene, um, you you have Nora um, and Rodrigo. They find Paul there in the rubble, and they have to crawl in that very tight space. Um, and there's there's a jump scare that happens in that tight space where we see that body it comes out of nowhere, kind of. Before that jump scare, there's just this weird angled shot of the tunnel in front of Nora. And it feels like the tunnel is just getting smaller and smaller. And to me, like right there at the beginning, that was one of the best examples of how this film and the cinematography in particular tried to make us, the audience, feel that claustrophobia. Uh, And so I love that sense of dread that the cinematography really brought to the film. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like that you guys are talking about how it doesn't rely on jump scares, but I, this is, I watched it, uh, twice the um, and there are a lot of jump scares in the movie mm-hmm. it's yeah. not that it's not it's not that it doesn't have jump scares but i think the difference in this movie and a, a other examples of horror movies and sci-fi movies from the modern day is that the jump scares in this one feel earned like yeah. we said, they built up to them. They didn't just yeah. have a cheap jump scare. They built up to them. They built the atmosphere. They made you feel uncomfortable so that when there was a jump scare, it was earned. And I think that's the main difference between mm-hmm. this movie and a lot of other cheap horror movies that are made yeah. nowadays. And I'm going to throw in a side note here. Uh, if I'm in that kind of situation, if I'm if I find myself in a situation like these characters the best way I know how to die is to implode. Just yeah. Take me yeah. out. Just take me out immediately. So I don't feel a thing. You don't so, want to be, you don't want to be go guarded like uh, TJ Miller's character. No. <laughs> oh, go, go, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, let's talk about some of the scenes, uh, the, the death scenes in this. So our characters, even uh, we have Rodrigo, who uh, is the only black character in this movie, which is kind of sad that the, uh, we're, we're in the year 2020 and the black, only black character in the movie gets killed first. Still, well, not first, I guess, because there's other people who die, but the first character we get attached to who dies. Right. Uh, but the way Honestly, he dies... kind of averted my expectations a little bit. Well, yeah. Because yeah. I'm like, they're not going to kill the black guy first. They did. Yeah, <laughs> so they did. It subverted my expectations a little bit. And 
the way that he dies is sacrificial, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that's a that's a big point of the messaging in this movie is self sacrifice and what it means to sacrifice. And that was such a small, understated. I, I didn't even hardly recognize what he was doing the first time I was watching this until you, you rewatch it and you see he purposefully he he kind of notices that there's something wrong with this helmet mm-hmm. away to Nora and she knows it automatically. She caught onto it the first time that I did it. Uh, yeah. And so there's something there about that and that death. You're you're right, Travis. It's you see it coming. Nora tries to stop it but there's nothing you can do. And then we just yeah. get the remnant of his body floating in the water. Yeah. yeah. Pretty messed yeah, up. That little, that little sequence, that little part of that scene when they're all walking uh, through the tunnel there and his, and that, and the piece of his jaw just kind of dings off. Oh, of yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that's okay. All right. That's, that's a good way to sell it. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but we, it, go ahead. What, what I was going to say, Travis is I was going to piggyback off of what Eric was saying. The three main deaths that we get in this, in this film come uh, via a sacrifice, a self-sacrifice. And mm-hmm. I think Eric touched on a really important point there about this. The whole theme of this movie does center around self-sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is an interesting theme that's running through the whole movie. Um, something about that first death uh, of Rodrigo is it quickly establishes that even though the monsters and you know, you know, going into this movie, there are monsters in it because it's in the, uh-huh. it's in the ads. It's in the, uh, it's on the poster. You don't know what they look like, but you know, they're there, but right. it establishes quickly that the monsters may not be the most dangerous thing about this movie. The mm-hmm. most dangerous thing for these people is the environment that they're in. Mm. And yes. that's what's scary. And they, and so for the rest of the movie, Every time that they showed them in the suits and they showed their helmets, there is less than an, a half an inch of glass between them and complete death. Yes. Yeah. I, I like it when movies make the environment a character. Mm-hmm. And this really excels at that. Yeah, it definitely does. It's very atmospheric. I like the way that they like real life deep water. The light doesn't penetrate very far. Mm -hmm. So you're just you can only see a few feet in front of you and then the rest is just pitch black. Mm -hmm. It's it's so great. It's so great. Yeah, the reason I think the Rodrigo death is it's it stunned me a little bit. The reason I think it, it kind of messes with our expectations introduce rodrigo's the second character we're introduced to in the film and there's mm-hmm. small like character building moments with rodrigo mm-hmm. that i really appreciated you know like mm-hmm. uh, he was surprised that nora knew his name but he obviously knew nora's name and you're like oh like he kind of has something for her potentially you know um and you know right. maybe this maybe this will build a little bit throughout then, you know, there's the touches that he had with uh, Paul, TJ Miller's character, where, you know, he mentions mm. anime and, and Paul's like, you like anime? I like anime, too, <laughs> right? which I thought was a funny line. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just like the, because we had those character building moments with him. I just wasn't expecting his death so soon, but that was a purposeful choice, I think. Yeah. Uh, just to show us that this environment, anything can happen in this environment. And there's a constant subversion of expectations 
I think through all these different roles that these characters have, there's a, there's a subversion of our expectations well, of how they will turn out. And building on that sacrificial element of him, you know, you notice that Nora is the one saying stop, but he never says anything. He just lets mm-hmm. it happen because he's mm-hmm. made the choice. Yeah. Yeah. Even when his helmet starts to crack, he's just completely silent. Mm-hmm. He's not saying anything. Cause he's like, I know this was, uh, this was going to happen. I knew this was going to happen. This is the choice I made. Yes. Um, moving into the next character to die and really the next character that we were introduced to, uh, you mentioned Paul, uh, TJ Miller's character. Mm, yeah. I'm really interested to hear you guys' thoughts on Paul. Mm. Actually, you know, I know a lot of people don't like TJ Miller and I usually, I'm a little iffy on him, but I actually think he serves the movie all right. Like his jokes are sometimes a little dopey and maybe almost out of place at times, but it's also a welcome relief when they do happen because this movie is so oppressive in its atmosphere and its tone that it's a relief when he just says a line. <laughs> yeah. It, he, he serves a, he serves the purpose of just breaking up the tension. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah, that's I, yeah. Go ahead, Travis. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. Well, no, my, I was going to say, I think a lot of people who have problems with TJ Miller might be from him at, um, uh, in real life, not his acting necessarily, <laughs> yeah. um, because in real life, he's not a good person, <laughs> no. but, but in this movie, like you said, I, I, and he did get a little annoying at times, but he never was so annoying that it took me out of the movie. And I think one of the things that he serves a purpose for is we all react to tragedy and stress differently. Mm-hmm. And some of us do react by making uh, light of it or you know and, and finding the humor in things and just laughing at things and that's kind of what he was doing he was just kind of laughing it off and making jokes and stuff it's not right. that he didn't feel the intensity of it and it wasn't like he wasn't scared you could still tell in his acting that he was scared but yeah. it just was serving that purpose of showing another side of dealing with stress yeah um, if this is going to sound really terrible but i if i had to pick the first person to die in this in this movie it was going to be emily honestly oh yes yeah that was was my pick for the first death and it was going to be just go ahead go ahead alex i'm sorry well i was gonna say what you were saying is absolutely right i mean usually couples don't make it to the end of the movie Mm -hmm. that's that's just a rule that's horror one-on-one couples don't make it to the end one of them dies and this again like eric was saying this is a subverts expectations on who's going to die. You never know who really is next. There's no clear path that I think anyone was able going to be able to guess. And you certainly weren't going to be able to guess that you're going to see Emily again, dragging her boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, isn't it? Alex is like, honestly, for a second, I thought Paul was going to make it through because he just was completely, um, he went all out and and he wasn't really showing his fear too much. So I was like, maybe this guy will make it. You know, there were times when you thought he was a goner before, but he actually made it out. Uh, mm-hmm. And he was a flat character. I did appreciate, you know, I had to appreciate his literary references throughout that cracked me up. Uh, <laughs> right. Emily, speaking of Emily. Yeah. You see her in those first moments whenever they're about to go underwater and she is absolutely terrified. And you're thinking mm-hmm. he has no chance. You know, it's always this person that is the most scared that's going to get killed the fastest. Right, mm-hmm. Michael, that's what you were saying. But yeah. again, the, the movie, you're right. It does subvert those expectations. At first, Smith, her boyfriend, is reassuring her, but it ends with her dragging Smith across the ocean floor 
to safety. He's he's pretty helpless at that point. Uh, and I love that that little touch. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a, it's excellent uh, character growth that she has where she's still afraid. It's like she doesn't stop being afraid, but she gets to the point where it's like, I have to do this to survive. And yeah. so she's just right. pushing through. And I love it. And I love that the two characters who push through and to help and basically win at the end of it all is the two female characters because the male characters either die or become useless <laughs> by the end. And, and, and Emily's, as I say, Emily's, Emily's way that she's coping with this situation is she's a talker, but I really expected her to die first, to be honest with yeah. you, because like you, like you said, I think Alex, uh, you don't expect couples to survive. It's either the girl that dies. It's either the girl that dies or the boy that dies first. Mm -hmm. um, so for them to make it to the end, I mean, I get, like you said, it subverts expectations. I mean, this, yeah. this yeah. is supposed to be a horror movie, but it doesn't necessarily play on the, on the, on the tropes of the horror genre, on the horror genre that we're all used to. Yeah. Right. And I, I love that she made it to the end because anytime we can see more of her, that actress, I just adore, um, Alex, I know you're the one who's a big Marvel fan. Have you seen, oh, yeah. uh, have you seen the iron fist Netflix show? Of course. I actually like the second season. <laughs> yeah, I actually did too. I actually did too. Um, but yeah, of course. So Colleen Wing, here she yeah. is. And she's so good with her real British accent, yeah. which is so... Which so I had no idea was a thing. And my wife, actually my wife watched it with me. And she was like, she's British? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, is she putting on an accent in this one? No, she's putting on an accent in Iron Fist. This yes. is her real accent. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that she's great, and I love I love that she stuck around because I love that actress so much. Um, but yeah, uh, let's talk about the captain now, the uh, who's played by Vincent Cassell. Yeah, I really like this character. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. I think he has like a clear plan. He's the one with who's showing his emotions the least of everybody. But mm -hmm. that's almost that does kind of play into what a captain probably is, and. He sacrifices himself several times. I mean, he helped people get to escape pods already when they find him. He's already wounded. And I like that we slowly find out more about him through various things, whether it's his line about his 14-year-old that kind of plays into... You, you can immediately tell something's not right. Mm -hmm. And when we find out that his daughter had actually died, it really lays out why he's so willing to sacrifice himself for others, is that he's not doesn't really have anything waiting for him when he gets back. Yeah, she's yeah. been dead. I think she had been like when when we finally found out that she had she had died. Uh, hadn't she, she died at age eleven, not fourteen? No, correct? she she died. I think she died at fourteen. I think I, I can't remember. I just know that the daughter was supposed to be the same age as Kristen Bell, or not Kristen Bell, <laughs> Kristen yeah. Stewart's character, uh, Nora. And I thought that the thing said uh, died at the age fourteen for some reason, but I, I can't remember. Yeah, I, right. I just I thought it meant that she died at 14 and that's he remembers her at that point, you know, that yeah. the age she was when she died and forgets that time has passed. She would have been older by now. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, so the thing I like about his character, too, is you always get the sense that he knows more than what he's saying. Mm -hmm. And like Alex said, like he seems, you know, he's not letting out his emotion. So you can't always tell whether it's. Is it just that he 
he he knows or he has a lot of things uh, bottled up and he's not expressing them or does he actually know what's going on and he's not letting the other characters know? Yeah. And he dies. Guys, we, I was going to say, yeah. maybe you guys caught it at the end when, when Kristen's, uh, when Kristen's character, uh, Nora was uh, when she, when she was looking through some of his old things and she was looking through some of the old maps and stuff. Did you guys happen to notice if there was any kind of indicator that maybe he would know what exactly is, is going on down there? I didn't see anything, but his attitude throughout the movie is that he is completely unsurprised by everything. Mm -hmm. And he even has, he's the one that thinks of how to use his infrared on his helmet to spot him. And it leads me to believe that in his, when he used to work at the other site that maybe he had seen something like this before. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Uh, I have some fun facts that I will share about, about um, that locker uh, scene later on, but Eric, what are your thoughts yeah. on Vincent, uh, Vincent Cassell's character, the captain? Honestly, I think he, he's probably my favorite character in the film. Um, you know, just from the first moments with him, you knew, that this this is a guy that had every reason in the world to be cynical. He always found a way to be optimistic, which is another one of the messages that we're kind of getting back and forth. You know, uh, Kristen Stewart, Nora's character, is you know the pessimist, the cynic, and Captain Lucian. He's he's the optimist, and you get that line that he gives Nora right whenever he sees her. She's talking about everything that happened. And he says, something, I can't remember the exact line, but he says something like looking back now, only Ford. Um, and then a little mm -hmm. bit later on, he, uh, Nora is saying, you have to admit that like, we may not make it out of this. And he's like, you have to admit that this actually gives us a chance. Um, he's, mm -hmm. he's trying to see the situation uh, from an optimistic standpoint. And you don't necessarily expect that from somebody has nothing else to lose like you you expect maybe someone that has experienced the amount of suffering that the film hints that he has that person might actually be the one to grow cynical but he's he's experienced loss just as Nora's character has experienced loss they've both taken different angles or at least they've had different amounts of time to process their grief um, and it's manifested in slightly different ways so I thought that was interesting no. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so getting into that, um, I'll go ahead and get into it now. But that the locker scene on that other, um, the shepherd, the shepherd um, drilling, it was a, an exploratory drill platform. And what what that if you uh, paid attention to the opening credits, they do mention in some clips there, uh, little like um, newspaper clips that people had disappeared mysteriously and mysterious things had uh -huh. been going on down when they were setting up the drill platform, even before they actually started drilling. Right. So, and then as much as he is Vincent Cassell's character is uh, saying, no, the shepherd is no good. There's nothing there. We can't go back to that. It's like, uh -huh. there's something, there's something going on why he wasn't wanting to go back to that particular place and then you get the scene where nora actually goes to the shepherd because she needs to get oxygen and she opens it up and there are maps and there and it's marked where a proposed uh drilling site is on the map but surrounding that there are pictures and and drawings of weird 
creatures, oh. uh, things that look like what the the creatures that are actually there. There is a picture that is an actual drawing by um, or from uh, uh, Cthulhu, the Cthulhu one of the Cthulhu books um, of Cthulhu. And there's symbols and stuff drawn on there, and it's all uh, like drawn together, like lines are drawn from those to that point where proposed drilling site is. So there is clearly hmm. something going on, and clearly uh, Vincent Cassell's character knew about about it. Right. Yeah. Let's um, <clears throat> since we're on this topic. I want to ask, uh, starting with Eric, what did you think of the creature design for this film? Uh, honestly, this was a slight issue for me. Uh, it was it, to me, it was mediocre. The creature design, um, it felt like an extraterrestrial, which I was fine mm -hmm. with, but right. uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too harsh on it. Uh, <laughs> I'd buy it once we fully saw the creature. I was terrified by the the small glimpses of it before it was finally revealed, which is how it ends up being a lot of times in these movies for me. I did get some major Orga vibes when the creature was trying to eat Nora's character. Same. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yep, I was like, this is Godzilla <laughs> 2000 Orga right here. Uh, and I actually liked that moment. That was really cool uh, and pretty terrifying. But overall, the, the, the monster design was fine. It wasn't I would call like super inspired. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Alex, what, what are your thoughts on the creature design? I, I really like the smaller creature design actually, because they look just human enough to be disconcerting where mm -hmm. it, there, there's clear that there might be some sort of relevance to whether, you know, some sort of genetic relationship between the two, even possibly. But I like that they, as you said, Eric, the Orga scene, I like that this isn't a monster that just bashes you and chews you up and, sw and, <laughs> and spits you out. This one has to slowly devour you. I really like that choice because it, it, it feels appropriate for coming from essentially outer space. Because when you get that deep, we know just as much about that deep as we do outer space. So it actually does kind of make sense that they almost feel alien-like. now. As for the giant Cthulhu type monster, I, I liked that he appeared, but and I liked his design, but it didn't feel wholly original uh, overall. But I liked his mouth and how many teeth there were, but he didn't feel super special. But I did like him. Yeah, yeah, I I can see that, and a big part of that uh, the with the the large creature design they end up they nicknamed it for the movie uh, Behemoth. The yeah. that design started out more like an animal, uh, more like a giant fish or a giant uh, sea creature, and then they kept saying, "No, we want it to feel more like a Cthulhu type, a Cthulhu type character." Uh, and so they kept pushing and pushing and pushing it further to this Cthulhu style character until eventually it just became. Cthulhu and even the director has come out and said after the movie came out that yes you can basically say that is Cthulhu that is meant to be uh this old god creature from ancient times that's deep underneath the oceans I was and wondering that because I saw some of the sketches uh the concept sketches for this film before before I started after I watched it 
I looked up some of the concept sketches for the monsters because you can't really tell a whole lot about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I see what you're saying, Travis. There, it is basically a Cthulhu monster. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, it's it's not even basically. I mean, the director said came out and said, "Yes, this is Cthulhu. We we basically made a a, a Cthulhu movie." Um, and uh, so you know, I mean, he, that's that's the thing. They just kept pushing it that far because that's what he, he wanted in the design. And he's like, "Well, at, at a certain point, when do we stop saying Cthulhu like and just say, well, we're just making a movie about Cthulhu?'" Yeah. One theory <laughs> that I had when I was watching this, like when we first saw sort of the humanoid creatures one one thought that i had in uh, on my mind was it reminded me of a film and i cannot exactly remember the name of it i think it's called the cave where uh oh alex, alex may know yeah, Ale- yeah it's the one where they go spelunk spelunking is that the right word <laughs> the, descent. the descent the well, descent there's there a movie go. well there's a movie called the cave that also they go spelunking and it's pretty much pitch black. Is the same. It's the same movie as Pitch Black, but yeah, <laughs> where they but encounter they... these humanoid creatures. But the, basically, the humanoid creatures are humans that have gotten lost down there. Oh. And just, and yeah, that's the descent. Time. Yeah, that's okay. the that's the descent. I love that movie. That is such a good horror movie. Yes. And you know what they reminded me of? They reminded me of the things coming out of Shin Godzilla's tail at the end of Shin Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. The little mi- minions. <laughs> yeah, and, and I will I will say, you know, I have to give a, a little bit of credit to that final design. One thing I liked about it was it was so huge and so menacing. It felt one with that underwater setting. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. it was like it, it was it became the setting and the monster kind of became one at that point at the end where you couldn't even really tell the difference between just the water and the monster. And yeah. I actually like that because of, yeah. you know, kind of what it was representing there at the end of the movie. And yeah. it's like kind of scientifically accurate, not in terms of design, but in, time, in terms of size, there's a lot of evidence that supports that anything that would be living that deep would be absolutely gigantic. So that, yeah, there you go. That way you have yeah. some nightmares. <laughs> um, and something interesting because I watched uh, some behind the scenes stuff for this movie, and what they said about the um, the the humanoid ones that I thought was really interesting is the reason why because they started out making them more like an octopus or a squid. That's what, in fact, there is a, a squid octopus like creature that shows up in the movie. That is the original design for the creatures. (laughs) That's really cool. That is what they were originally going to look like. Um, They did end up using it, but they used it as just an octopus, but Mm -hmm. uh, uh, they started pushing it further into more humanoid because they said, imagine you're someone who's scuba diving and you dive deep down into, you know, into this area and then suddenly you see a humanoid person just standing straight up and down off in the distance. How frightening. And type stuff. That, that just is so <laughs> frightening. And the, the thought of that alone was scary enough that they said, we have to make these more human-like. And yep. so that's what they went with. So I do like that there was thought put into it. I do get where Eric's coming from, that they're not completely uh unique in their design they're just you know lanky humanoid you know fish people um you know they're fine yeah they're fine but i I, when they're in the distance in the shadow 
that's when it's really scary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've talked a lot about positives in this movie. Um, what are some negatives? Let's talk about some dislikes. What are some things that you guys didn't like about this movie? There are none. This movie's perfect. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Alex, Alex. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I'll, I'll okay. This. I'll uh, start. I'll, I'll say, um, we talked about the pacing at the very beginning. It was one of the things that we actually praised. I will say that the, the film is so fast paced. I think you're right, Michael. It's easy to, of lose track of characters actually trying to do at any given moment um the characters as we've mentioned we've talked about these characters these are actually strong characters mm -hmm. but because the pace of the movie is so fast don't get as many character building moments as i would have liked to have seen and and that's a shame because again i do like the characters hmm. yeah 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 I can definitely, definitely yeah, definitely something that's sacrificed when you're moving that fast. Because then you got to do a certain things in the film. There, I wouldn't call quite call them ham fisted, but it's a little. I guess it is a little heavy handed. Like when Nora goes to the not the Roebuck, but that intermediate place mm -hmm. where yeah. the the captain had been, mm -hmm. she sees that he has this like uh, the card with his daughter on it, saying like when she died and all that stuff, like. Would he have really had that on him down there? I don't. Maybe I don't know. It, it it's almost a convenient way to really find out more about this character that's died. And I like actually don't mind it. It's kind of a sacrifice you have to do in a ninety-five minute movie that goes this mm. fast. But there right. are certain moments like that that do uh, they have to do in order to flesh out these characters. Yeah, one thing that I think that an example of what you guys are talking about uh, is I think three times in the movie, someone asks uh, Colleen Wing, I don't remember what her name is, uh, in, Emily in the movie, I don't remember what the actress's name is, but three times somebody says to her, oh, you really love that guy, don't you? And she has to reaffirm that, yes, I do love them. I, you know, yes, I do love him. And it's such a weird thing to do, but I, I get why they're doing it because they don't have enough time to show their relationship and how strong their relationship is outside of that. So they have to kind of tell tell you instead of show you uh, that, yes, we're in a relationship, we're committed to each other, and this is the situation we're in. Right. Yeah, the, I, I think I do like the pacing. I, I like that they got down to business fairly quickly. But this movie could have probably benefited with maybe been ex being extended, like say twenty minutes, for for just a little extra character building, uh, to and to slow things down just a hair. So that's yeah. Just kind of now, sp speaking of slowing things down, the random times that it would <laughs> cut to slow motion just it started yeah. off it wasn't it wasn't super bad but then as it just kept happening it kept happening it's like okay this is someone who's and i thought i was like this this director is not a new director he has directed things before but it feels like a person who's just learned how to direct it is like oh this is a new feature i just figured out how to do let's do it a lot interesting, <laughs> interesting. see i i think the issue i had with that travis was I liked the use of it um, in the beginning of the film, right? Mm -hmm. Where we get that that scene where Nora is 
literally blown back by the force and it goes in slow motion at that moment. I was like, that, that's really cool. I like the style of that moment. Then we get away from that for a long time. It's like they come back in until I don't, I, I don't know the exact place it comes back in, but then when it finally does come back in, they use it a couple more times in really quick succession and it just yeah. doesn't work as well. Whenever we haven't used it in such a long time, You're like this is kind of random. It feels appropriate the first time, but then it feels random afterwards. Yeah, I think it feels best at the beginning, and I like that they use it at the end. Actually, yes, uh, yes, yeah. When the explosion is happening and the water's rising up around Nora, yeah, uh, I, I like I like it at that point, and I agree, Eric. I like it at the beginning, but the the other times that they use it just feels like it was overused. Um, and speaking of overused. Let's talk about the narration in this movie. I wouldn't what? say that. I don't. I wouldn't say it was overused. I mean, it was it's, used an appropriate amount. I thought it's an. It's not that it was overused in this movie. It's an overused thing that uh, hasn't been good since like the sixties. Like <laughs> this movie came out in two thousand and twenty. This movie was filmed and and produced in twenty seventeen. People knew then that the narration in Blade Runner messed up the flow of Blade Runner and that everybody prefers the non-narrated version, and they still chose well, to put it in this movie. That's because everyone knows that Blade Runner's overrated anyway. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right, I'm going away. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but you get what I'm saying, though. It's like we already know that narration is not necessary in a film by 2017. This isn't so, it isn't like yeah. the 1950s and 60s. Why is it in here? Well, it's kind of yeah. funny. Back when I did screenwriting um, back in college, one of the first rules they told you is do not do <laughs> narration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh <laughs> that's one of the first things they teach you which i i don't have a problem with it but i also kind of do and i don't know if it's ingrained for me because i was told never to do that <laughs> or because it, it just it wasn't necessary that's the problem it's, it can be cut out and you wouldn't lose a thing yeah right and that's the thing alex is if if you can show us something instead of tell us something that's what you need to do i i'm not the type of guy that's like no narration ever because I do think there are times and places. I actually think the narration in the very opening moment um, is okay. Uh, but as the film progresses, I don't know if we need that narration, especially at the end. I don't know. It's a little heavy handed. And, mm -hmm. and another example of just the showing, not telling aspect of it is Emily. Um, whenever at one point they're, they're looking at, at the, the entire complex that they have and she says something along the lines of this is what we get for destroying the earth right and like this is what mm. we get for mining all the earth's resources like we got what's coming to us which i actually i I'm, i agree with that message that that's fine like that's a fine message to have we're godzilla fans that's in half god half of the godzilla movies right You're right <laughs> uh, it doesn't need to be spelled out for us like that when it, when a film does that and uses a character to do that, I feel like it's a little condescending to the audience. And, and so I didn't necessarily love that moment. The film had done enough in showing us that we had it screwed things up that it didn't need to tell us that. Okay, yeah. so I'm gonna play I'm gonna play devil's advocate just for a second. 
and say that maybe the narration was uh, important because Nora, she was a pretty stoic character throughout the film. I think we can probably pretty much all agree on that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe the fact that we don't always know what she was thinking. So the only real way um, they could really illustrate that to us is by narration or or through narration. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's just my thought. Maybe it's because I agree, Michael, actually. Well, and the the entire movie is from her point of view. There's, right. I don't know if there's a single scene that happens where she's not in it, or at least she can visibly see somebody. So, mm-hmm. it, in that way, there's like sense. cynical versus optimism that it's kind of going for throughout the film. You needed that opening narration to kind of set up that messaging and that idea to to mess around with throughout the movie. Hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, I I don't I don't necessarily have a problem with the narration at the beginning of the movie because, uh, like you said, I do like the that it sets up one of the overarching themes. Um, but I think that it, again, it's a it's a thing that's overused in the movie because by the time you get to the end of the movie and she's still narrating, it's like we don't need this narration. You don't need to explain these things to us because we can tell what's going on. We know what's going on. Um and and so I think it's I think it's an overused thing. I think it's overused in this movie and I think it's overused in movies in general. I think that narration, like Alex said, it's a number one rule. You don't do it. You don't do it when you're <laughs> writing a script. When you're writing prose, there are certain rules about the way you narrate. When you're writing scripts for comic books, there are rules about the way you narrate comic books nowadays versus how they did back in the day. And this is just an example of, I think this is an outdated thing that shouldn't be in a 2020 movie. Hmm. I'm of two minds, and I am not going to be able to make a decision. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite movies that is nothing but narration Shawshank Redemption oh I love that movie and I feel like it but that is interesting because it is a a character that is not the main focus of the story telling you the story this is the narration this is an internal monologue that's happening in this movie this is different but I get what you're saying. Though. Go ahead. I'm sorry for interrupting, Michael. No, you're fine. That's all I was going to say is I, I think when used appropriately, like it was in this film, and like I'll stand by my point saying that where she was so stoic, you you don't always know what she's thinking. So the narration was probably vital. So uh, yeah. let me ask you guys. Uh, I'll start with Alex this time. The, the final scene after she um, self-destructs the facility. Mm-hmm. We don't actually see her die. It's always implied. Right. The, the the final shot of her is just her looking down, and yeah. but you see you see the flames uh, sort of building up behind her. What did you guys kind of think of that whole self sacrificial scene and how it all how the film actually ended? I think it's I think it's really well done. Actually, I actually like it. Like I, I do think maybe the narration actually hampers the scene a little bit. But I like the way the water's rising up behind her, and I like that essentially for her, time is slowing down. Because they say in your last moments of life, time usually slows down. So I like that. And I, I like that we don't see her die. We don't need to. We, she she just killed Cthulhu. Uh, we know she's dying. So I actually really like that scene. I don't know about you all. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a, it, it is a great scene. Eric, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I I had no complaints about it. Um, and just speaking of that last scene in general, I, I had no com- complaints about Kristen Stewart um, as an actor in this film. Um, yeah. I hold to the point that I think she's a she's a good actress. Um, <laughs> you've seen her in you know Little Shopper. Uh, on the road, some of the smaller films that she's actually been in since Still Alice. Yeah, if you watch her in some of the films that she's been in since Twilight, you recognize that she actually has a range, and, and directors want to work with her because of that range that she has. Um, but I think lots of people hold her work in Twilight, which against her. Which, to be fair to her, any actress you put in that role in Twilight is going to struggle with that script. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I feel you. I think she, I think she was fine throughout. She was stoic as, as Michael said, but there's just smaller looks and smaller glances that she does where she conveys emotion in very small over the top way. She is that cynical character who is suffering and who is dealing and processing with her suffering in more cynical sort of ways. Yeah. I, I think she's good in this for sure. Yeah, I, I'm on your side, Eric. I think Kristen Stewart is uh, hugely and criminally underrated because of some bad movies she did over 10 years ago. I wouldn't say criminally. Yeah. And, uh, no, uh, criminally, criminally. Because, because she does such an excellent job in most movies that she's in. Mm. If she was not in, if she was never in Twilight, People would not think negatively of her, and it's just because those movies mm. are terrible from beginning to end. There's nothing. It's the same thing with Robert Pattinson. No, yeah. no, Robert Pattinson's a phenomenal actor. Water for Elephants was actually pretty good. Kristen well, Stewart is really ex- dislike Robert Pattinson, though, Alex. Yeah, because, people really they, do. They can't stand the fact that he's being the next Batman because like he's a terrible actor. He's in twice. It's the same thing between yeah. Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart. They both and it's not like great actors don't have terrible roles and terrible times oh, yeah. you know, in, on their careers. Uh, Everyone from she... Twilight is the greatest actor ever. I'm sorry. <laughs> What's the other guy's name? There are really great actors in that movie, though. That's what's right. crazy. Right. Taylor Lautner should have gotten an Academy Award last year. Uh, <laughs> no, what, no, yeah, I'm no. kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, no. But if you take <laughs> Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson, I'd take both of them over any other this is maybe a controversial take but i take either of them over any of the harry potter actors uh, mm. just in there yeah, I, can, I can get on yeah i can get on board with that you know, and they had similar sort of roles where they put into these like young adult roles uh and then they're the, they're the two that have branched out and have worked with some interesting directors well emma emma Ooh. watson is that uh, right uh, daniel radcliffe's done some stuff too <laughs> Yeah, Daniel Radcliffe. Mediocrely, so, yeah. yeah, but but I think uh, I think the pro- what, we're getting what off hurts, topic here. Yeah, I think what hurts Kristen Stewart too is also that a lot of the movies that she's in that she's really good in are ones that are really art house, uh, very small time movies. So she hasn't really hit the big time showing and proving that she can yeah. act and do well, a great well, job. Let me ask you, Travis. Let me ask you, Travis. Did okay. So is this movie? her say coming out party as an actress 
If it had done well. <laughs> yeah, if it had done well, yes. But that's the thing. This is another movie where she did a great job, but it just did not do very well. Not very many people have seen it. Hmm. And so, cool. again, it's just one of those situations. <laughs> yeah, it is one of those situations. It's not her It's not her coming out party as an act. Like, I think directors recognize her talent. It seems to me like she's working with a variety of different directors that are recognizing her. She's not at the same level of like a movie star as, um, let's say, like Jennifer Lawrence, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But she's recognized by what I would consider, as, as you said, Travis, more art house director, similar to, you know, before Batman, Robert Pattinson, again, he's been in several more art house film, like Good Time from a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The Lighthouse. Yeah, The Lighthouse. He's in these sorts of, of films, just like she is, where they're both learning kind of their craft and are getting better and better uh, right. in their roles. Yeah, well, and, yeah, and William Eubank, the uh, the director of this film, in the behind-the-scenes stuff, he had nothing but praise to... to um, to say you know, nothing but good things to say about Kristen Stewart because of how hard she worked and how willing she was to, to do whatever they asked and how um, good she was with like, there was, uh, we talked about the end scene where she does sacrifice herself. That was the original plan, but they did film an alternate ending where she survived and they were going to test it out to see which one tested better with audiences and then they would go with the one but Kristen stewart kept saying no my character should die thematically it fits more with my character to have her sacrifice herself and so you can tell like she she has this mentality of she knows what she's doing that's good oh yeah yeah so uh i i'm off my soapbox So we did we did touch on themes now in this movie. Um, so this gets into some of our fun facts. Um, but is there anything that you guys want to highlight, um, either likes or dislikes, before we get into like fun facts and talking about themes in the movie? Just one thing, you know, when when they discovered that there's only two uh, of the escape pods working and the third one is jacked up. I like when Emily is trying to trade with her and Nora's response is to punch her. But it, yeah. didn't, it didn't fall into the typical TV or movie trope of one punch knocks somebody out. Mm-hmm. So I like that she punches her. She just has to like, she's just really sitting in the thing, like just rubbing her face. Mm-hmm. And apologizes for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. She just I punches like her to shut her up. It's <laughs> just like, just <laughs> shut up and sit down. <laughs> yes. I, re- I actually really like that moment. Yeah, that was good. Um, Anything else that you guys wanted to? Okay, well, getting into some of the fun facts now, one of the things that I really found interesting, uh, the suits that they wear in this, they those suits were actually made. Um, they're not completely digitized. They are, you know, they did have physical suits that they were wearing and the real life suits wore that they were uh, wearing weighed over 100 pounds each. Mm hmm. And awesome. those suits are awesome. Yeah. They like are Taryn, Taryn from Starcraft. You guys ever play that game? That's what they <laughs> yeah, <me. laughs> yeah. And, and they they look amazing, and but it just shows the amount of effort that the actors 
uh, had, you know, to, to put into their acting that they were acting with these hundred pound suits on over top of them and everything. And it's just like, it's amazing. And it made it especially difficult because there were quite a few scenes where they filmed in real water. Uh, it wasn't all, uh, digital water and they got even heavier in the water. And so it made it even more difficult for them to act in those scenes. Hmm. Um, one of the overall uh, themes in this movie is uh, Alice in Wonderland. Right. We hear TJ Miller quote and talk about it a good bit. Um, there are a few references uh, at the beginning of the movie at like the four minute mark. We see a queen of hearts playing card. Mm -hmm. uh, TJ Miller has the tattoo of the Cheshire cat. Uh, yeah, it's of, on his chest. Yeah, it's on his chest. Uh, and, uh, the white rabbit, of course. Right. Of course, yeah. And so Michael, before we started recording, was asking about what's the deal with the white rabbit. And mm -hmm. overall, the theme of of Alice in Wonderland is what it ties into because it's the white rabbit. But an interesting thing is when they were filming this, they intended to replace the stuffed rabbit with a you know digital one but it was supposed to be a real rabbit in the movie mm -hmm. he was supposed to have yeah. a real pet rabbit yeah but they decided to not uh go with the real rabbit and just keep the stuffed rabbit but they didn't tell anybody in the cast that they were not replacing it with the real rabbit in post-production so <laughs> yeah. everyone in the movie treated it like it was a real rabbit <laughs> yeah that's funny it's awesome and so I thought I it was a real rabbit at one point. Like, did you? Did, yeah. Did you see that there was one a real rabbit at one point? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at the very end, towards the end. Yeah. There's a scene where it actually is a real rabbit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was a little strange. Yeah. He said yeah. it was a little Easter egg that he put in for people. I thought that was hilarious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was real interesting. Um, the there's a line that T.J. Miller uses in the movie. If you if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Mm, he yeah. uses that line. Now that line uh, I thought was from Alice in Wonderland um, because that it sounds like an Alice in Wonderland thing. And he's been quoting and talking about Alice in Wonderland through the movie. It's actually not a quote from Alice in Wonderland. Hmm. It's a quote from a George Harrison song called any road. And the thing about the, the song is the song is actually drawing inspiration from Alice in Wonderland when it uses that line, but it's paraphrasing uh, a conversation between Alice and the Cheshire cat. So meta. So, so it's, meta. so it is a line from Alice in Wonderland, but through the song from George Harrison. <laughs> so would that make the, the, the monster at the end, not Cthulhu, but the Jabberwocky? <laughs> I, I'm surprised. Like they, they should have gone full Alice in Wonderland with it and just like made the monsters more like creatures. Um, there is a big theme about uh madness, like, and I think that's where the Cthulhu comes in, where uh -huh. people spending too much time isolated, spending too much time under that much pressure, that much mm -hmm. uh deep ocean, that they start losing their minds, and that's supposed to play into the movie a good bit uh mm. and, and when you get to that locker with uh from the captain 
that's supposed to be a scene where you start questioning, is he losing his mind or does he know something is going on that he well, shouldn't Well, it's directly know? referenced early in the film when Emily, when it's Emily, Nora, and the captain are speaking and the captain mm -hmm. says something uh, about so his 14, daughter. His daughter's 15, 14, yeah. Yeah, and they direct, and she says, oh, it must be the pressure getting to him. Or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, and, uh, and even in the opening credits, there's uh, little articles about uh, the effects on the mind of being in isolation underwater for that long. Yeah, and that people were seeing things uh, yes. because they were underwater. So that brings up the question, uh, is this entire movie just <laughs> a dream? <laughs> I, I think it's real, and I but I think the stuff at the beginning that was hinting to... Uh, any sort of mental problems was actually just the cover up of the, the uh, whatever the corporation's name was. But I think that yeah. was their cover up was like, Oh, this is the, this is what happens. And it's like, well, eh, maybe not. Oh yeah. That's in the a documentation in the, it's in the, it's the documentation I think makes reference to it too. At the end when they're going through all the newspaper mm. clippings and whatnot. Yeah. 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 That was a little Easter egg too, about the company. Uh, the company is named uh, Tian. Um, and that's uh, supposed to be because it's Lovecraftian. Ah, it's a Lovecraftian <laughs> movie. Funny. Funny. Um, they do talk about how uh, the that this the the drilling platform that they're on is a Titan level uh, platform, hmm. and so that's uh, another you know kind of tie into like the MonsterVerse with with Titans and uh, yeah. that what they call huh. the kaiju. So yeah, there's a few little Easter eggs there too. <laughs> Interesting. Do you guys have anything else you want to say before we move on to our Godzuki scores? No, I think I'm. I think I'm good. I think I think I've got it all out of my system. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to get into our Godzuki scores. Anybody who's not familiar with uh, Godzuki or with our podcast, uh, Godzuki is the bumbling nephew from the cartoon uh, Godzilla series from Hanna Barbera. And we like to embrace the silly side of kaiju films and pay homage to the great Godzuki by using him as our yardstick uh, to rate <laughs> these movies. So uh, I'm going to start with, I'll start with Alex because he's on top on my list here. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're the top of the list. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've got to give this a four out of five Godzukis, or as I usually do on our podcast, eight out of ten Godzukis. Yeah, um, I, <laughs> that's okay. Your Godzukis are smaller, so it's like it, it's the same. It's the same number of Godzukis by volume. Yeah, it's it's how you use your Godzuki. Um, so, oh man. I, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I think it's a four out of five for me. I I, I really like this movie. Like that, anything that could take take me on a tone thrill ride from beginning to end. A lot like how the thing makes makes me feel I am totally on board with. So th this, this one sold me from the get go. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, Eric, what's your score? I give it a three out of five. Godzuki's no, I, always much, the more harsh. Mm -hmm. uh, I've always, I've praised the film uh, and rightly so. Like there's a lot to praise about it. I think the first minutes and the last 15 minutes are the strongest parts of the film and i also really like the, kind of the character the small character building moments we get throughout I enjoyed the characters quite a bit um i think the deaths are are 
unique and and um, well done. The effects are pretty good. The, the monsters, I said, weren't quite as wasn't scared of the monsters as much as I was of this setting. I like that comparison to the thing, Alex. Um, and I wish that idea of kind of the setting would have been a little bit more explored. It, it shifts a little bit away from the setting and more to those monsters. Um, but I think even just the setting and that claustrophobic feel that we've all mentioned is really what what made this film stand out to me. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I also think a, there were a couple moments that were were heavy handed in in the messaging that I just didn't think needed to be there. I did appreciate that it was 95 minutes long. Um, it was so fast paced and I, I could appreciate that. Um, but I also could have done with just a little bit more character building. Yeah. Now, Michael, according to our show notes, you're going to give it five out of five. <laughs> well, I'll be on. Okay, so I'll be honest. <laughs> I'm just sitting here watching on the show notes a fight go on between Alex and Michael over the score. <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, so this is one of the few times that um, I feel like maybe I should change my score while we've had this conversation. Um, at first I was going to give it a 3.5 out of five. Um, but after having this conversation and, and my main reason for that is the pacing is fine. Uh, the, the, uh, this movie really surprised me more so than I expected it to. I expected it to be just a a run of the mill jump scare, uh, Uh deep sea horror film. And, you know, taking into account all the themes and some of the different layers that we've had this conversation about, uh, I'm going to have to go ahead and give it a four out of five uh, because I did enjoy it a lot more than I expected to. And although my main gripes about the film are it is a little bit hard to keep up with. Um, and although the some of the cinematography is great, there's not enough contrast for me to kind of tell what's going on. Maybe that's on mm-hmm. purpose because. Uh, we're supposed to feel so uncomfortable during this film. And so you're mm-hmm. not really supposed to see anything. Um, but I really just don't like it when films do that. I like to be able to see what's in front of me. And so that's the reason I'm going to go ahead and just give it a four out of five because I want to be fair to it, but it's not a perfect movie for me. Yeah. Regardless of what the notes say, it is not a perfect movie for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I shared these show notes with our Patreons, uh, and uh, so they're going to be really confused with the with the score <laughs> section of these notes. <laughs> um, so yeah, I give it a four out of five Godzukis uh, because I had a blast watching it. I think it's so much fun. I like uh, scary, intense movies. And uh, this this movie is definitely scary and tense. Um, it's a ton of fun. It has it has excellent characters, even if they didn't get developed to the level that I wish they would have gotten developed. They're still excellent characters. The jump scares are earned. The fear is real, and it's just a very tense movie. And I think that it's a fun ride for anyone who's a fan of scary monster movies. Uh, if you're the kind who likes the more cheesy side of monster movies, this is not going to give it to you. But if you like the more scary side of, of the kaiju genre, this has it in spades. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. So, 
so yeah, so with that out of the way, we can get into the the next segment, the last segment of the podcast, if you guys uh, don't mind sticking around for it. Oh, absolutely sure. not. All right, well, we can get into the mailbag. What's in the mail today? So we had a letter that me and Michael answered part of uh, a couple of weeks ago from my best friend, the whole wide world. I always say that um, Kershaw, <laughs> he, uh, he sent us two questions and we answered one question a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and so we're going to answer this, the other question this time around. Uh, and I wanted you guys, if you could to stick around, because I think that you guys would be able to answer this question really well, given the nature of your podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll read the letter. It says, Hey guys, long time listener, first time caller. I always wanted to say that I recently rewatched destroy all monsters and saw Gorosaurus burrow to attack Paris only for Baragon to be credited for it. Then when all the monsters were no longer under control of the Kelax, and fought Ghidorah, Baragon stayed on the sideline. I just had to shout, Justice <laughs> for Baragon! <laughs> so, the question that he wanted to ask us is, what are your favorite movies from each era of Godzilla? So, we have the Showa era, the Heisei era, the Millennium era, <laughs> <laughs> and we now have the Reiwa era that we are in. Uh, so... Oh, so what uh go ahead with you guys um what are Mm. your favorite movies i'll just say like this is a a perfect question for us um if if your listeners haven't had a chance to check out our podcast yet monsters versus men i do think the episode that was released just a couple days ago it's our kind of our recap of the entire godzilla series and it was just a super fun episode to do and we ranked Every single Godzilla movie, uh, all 35 <laughs> of them, in a way that we kind of, uh, that's very unique to us, to say that without spoiling it. A week that's very, a way that's very unique to us, our podcast. But for my favorites of each era, um, I'll make this short and sweet. For, for Showa, it would be easy for me to go with Gojira, but I'm going to not say Gojira. I'm going to say Terror of Mecha Godzilla. Uh, for Heisei, it's The Return of Godzilla, uh, 1984, by the way. Um, what? <laughs> yeah. You change every time we talk about this. It, it's, it's, it fluctuates. No, but that, that one, that's the only one in my top 10, Alex. You know this. Millennium Era. era or millennium, as I've been known to say, is GMK. <laughs> and then the Reiwa era, uh, Shin Godzilla. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Alex, what do you want to give as your favorites? All right. So and now, go ahead. Uh, I, no, uh, no, no, I'll, no, you're I'll, good. I was going to say, now, you know, I do like that he did say favorites, not necessarily the best movie in that era, because yes. I definitely didn't pick the best movies in the era as mine, but well, they are my favorites. <laughs> and that is that is a very important distinction, uh, because I think most people would, not unanimously, because nothing's unanimous, but I think most people would agree that Gojira is the best of the Showa, and that just makes it boring. So what's my mm-hmm. favorite? King Kong vs. Godzilla is my favorite of the show. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. You stole so, my answer. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and then 
for the Heisei, uh, it's got to be Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. Uh, nothing's better than time travel and Godzilla mixed together. And as space for... Space Godzilla? Did I say Space Godzilla? Oh my goodness. And <laughs> make a King Ghidorah, or whatever, I don't know, space, whatever, time travel. Um, and then uh, for the Millennium Era, uh, that one's a bit tougher for me, but you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do it. Final Wars. And... <laughs> <laughs> just to make Eric mad. Um, oh my gosh. And then Rayla era and Legendary era. You know, my favorite from that has got to be. It's got to be King of the Monsters. I think Shen is the best out of that era, but I could watch King of the Monsters every day. Mm, yeah, totally. Uh, Michael, what's yours? Okay, so for the Showa era, I got to go with uh, Ghidra, the three headed monster. Uh, I just love that film and it introduces my favorite uh, Godzilla uh, villain is uh, King Ghidorah uh, for the Hasai era. I'm going to have to go with um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fight my, my I'm going to fight my tendencies to go with uh, Mechagodzilla 2 and I'm but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say Return of Godzilla 1984 slash, even though 85 is the better film. Um, for and see for the millennium era, I'm going to go with Godzilla 2000. I just love the Meyer Goji suit. Uh, and I just think that's the best film of the millennium era for the Rewa legendary. I'm also going to go with King of the monsters because like Alex Shin may be the better film, but King of the monsters is just damn good fun. Yeah. No, Hey, uh, Godzilla 2000. Is that the American or the Japanese version? The American dub is good, is man. Than the Japanese. Good man. Yeah. Good <laughs> again. We already knew this one, though, Alex, because Michael, <laughs> Michael was on our show for that episode, That's Godzilla right. 2000. And Travis will be on our show soon, very soon. For yeah. uh, one of the first films of the Gamera series, I'm so yeah. sorry. That's that's <laughs> that's okay. It's gonna be fun. Um, for me though, I I went with I, I have a tie for the Showa since since um Michael mentioned uh, Ghidra or Ghidorah, um, the three headed monster. Uh, that's one of mine that I picked. But I'm also gonna say Mothra versus Godzilla. Mm. I love mothra so much mothra is my second favorite monster next to godzilla and so i love that movie uh those are my two favorites from that era um as far as the heisei era goes if you had asked me a few years ago i might have said godzilla versus king Ghidorah. but lately i have been finding out that i enjoy godzilla versus mothra the battle for earth what? And I know, I, I know, I talked to you guys. I've I talked know, to you guys right? about it. <laughs> but I really do enjoy that movie. I really do. I I didn't think I I I enjoyed it that much, but lately it has been like my go to like feel good movie. Mm. I have been turning it on whenever I want just a feel good movie, and and so I enjoy it a lot. Um, for the Millennium Era, it's definitely Godzilla two thousand because it's my favorite Godzilla movie of all time. It's number one, wow. just of all time. American and, or Japanese? Uh, the American, of course, of course, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and 
uh, for the legendary and Rewa, again, I'm going with King of the Monsters because, like you guys, even though there are better made films than that one, it's the most fun, and I can put it on and just enjoy it anytime. So, yeah. I was and, really hoping, Travis, that you would say for the for the Heisei era, Godzilla versus Dastoroya. Dastoroya! <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, because uh, Kershaw did send over his uh, picks. Um, he didn't send us the Reiwa Legendary. He just went through the Millennium. But uh, he, for the Showa, he picked uh, Destroy All Monsters and Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, uh, mm-hmm. which we just reviewed fairly recently oh. on our podcast. Uh, Godzilla versus oh. Mechagodzilla. Um, then uh, in the Heisei, he picked Godzilla versus Destroya. Uh, which I love saying it like that. Desatoya! Uh, and then uh, for the Millennium Era, he picked Godzilla Tokyo SOS. Ah, so okay. that's good an pick. interesting that's a good pick. One. That's respectable, yeah. Yeah, yeah, those are some good picks. Uh, I think I think if you picked anything other than um, Re- Godzilla, uh, Godzilla Mothra, uh, Battle for Earth. No, yeah. I because I picked that one. <laughs> no, I was kidding. I was kidding. <laughs> no, because I picked that one. So that one's no. But I think if you, if you I think if you picked anything other than uh, all monsters attack, uh, then mm. it would have been fine. I think I think Eric is lying about his pick for the Heisei era. We all know that it's Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla too. Uh, yeah. Oh boy! <laughs> you know what? Last time I talked to him, he said, "Yeah, you're right, Alex. Godzilla versus King Ghidorah is the best Heisei movie." And then he flips it on me again today. It's frustrating. It's frustrating uh, to work with this man. I mean, just you know M- M11 alone makes that yeah. movie so enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Godzilla versus King Ghidorah is an awesome, just a fun time. And I honestly, it, I had to choose my favorite. It's really close between those two, and I might put King Ghidorah ahead. I think Return of Godzilla 1984 is a better movie, but yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, we want to thank you guys so much for being a part of this week's episode. Yeah. We enjoyed for having us. Yeah, that yeah. was fun. Really fun. <laughs> yeah. I'm super it's... disappointed we didn't get that rap battle, though. Yeah, we'll save it for next time. Yeah. Next time. <laughs> yeah, it'll be an hour and a half long rap battle. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> michael's the one that's pushing for it i'm not the one pushing for it well, i'm definitely <laughs> pushing for it yeah you'll wish you, you'll wish we never met because we'll be making you sweat <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh man real so, up in here. <laughs> so before we uh close out the episode uh do you guys want to plug your podcast some more and your social Ooh, medias yeah, we've we've plugged it quite a bit, so we won't <laughs> well, drag it true. on. Yeah, okay. Uh, we will say that uh, if you want to follow us online, we are uh, at MVM underscore pod, um, or you can email us mvmpod at gmail.com. Yeah. All right. And you can also follow you guys on Letterboxd, too. Oh, yeah. That's I'm right. real we bad are. about it. <laughs> yeah, Alex is terrible, but you can follow my account. Just search Eric Neely, and you'll find a, a, someone that actually updates their stuff. I, I, I'm gonna get better about it. I'm going to. Hey, I okay. just started on Letterbox. I've had it for a while, but I just started actually doing stuff with it. And uh so I'm I've only like nine reviews, I think I've only posted on there so far. And uh but I'm trying. But it's you a guys, fun platform. Yeah, you guys haven't followed me yet. 
Uh, I didn't uh, know you were following me. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I am. I am. Oh. <laughs> oh, uh, no, it's all right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I purposely but... did it. No, I just kidding. <laughs> 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 like, oh, that Travis guy followed me. No, <laughs> the one that made me watch D Wars. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Gave D Wars five stars. I'm not following them. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I made I made Eric watch D Wars for Kaiju Quarantine, and I made Alex watch uh, Yeti. Oh. so so oh, i'm surprised you guys were even willing to be on this podcast <laughs> we had a, we had a long talk about it and we decided it was the nice thing to do so that's right. oh man <laughs> well the only thing i gotta do before we close out this episode is to uh ask the trivia question that hints to next week's episode so we haven't really mentioned it very much but we are in sea monster month right now so we are all of our movies that we're reviewing is uh sea monster related so our next movie that we're going to review the trivia question is which king kong turned godzilla movie was the first in the franchise to take place on an uncharted island Ooh. i know this one I do too. Yeah. it's rare for me yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously terror of mecha godzilla yeah, exactly. yes, obviously, obviously the first and the last in the show era. Um, so, uh, yeah, we want to thank you guys so much for joining us on this yeah. podcast. Thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast and sharing it with your friends and family. Uh, and if you want to follow this podcast, you can do that on social media. We are at Kaiju Weekly on Twitter and Kaiju Weekly Pod on Instagram. You can send questions, comments, or answers to the trivia questions to our email, kaijuweekly at gmail.com. You can also find us at the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group. Also follow at Kaiju Groupie Pod. Uh, that's Michael and the Kaiju Groupie on Instagram. A big thank you to Brian, Shijer, and Thorax for supporting us on Patreon. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash kaijuweeklypod. And also make sure to check out our YouTube channel. We're trying to push because we've grown on every platform except for YouTube. YouTube, we are still stuck. Um, we've kind of plateaued. And so I'm pushing. We want to grow our subscriber count on YouTube. So please check out the YouTube channel because we not only post our latest episodes, but we also post clips and other things on there. So you can keep up with the podcast on our YouTube channel as well. Cool. And so to uh, close out this episode, until next time, I'm going to say help control the a giant sea monster population have your <laughs> Cthulhu's spayed or neutered. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> we'll Bye see guys. You guys later. Bye. Stay alive, guys. <laughs> yeah.